I went through probably about a week of struggling with the sense of loss of a plan, but it didn't take me a really long time to realize that <laughs> that loss was just a loss of a future that existed entirely in my imagination. It was the future I had imagined. It was never the future that he had imagined or wanted. And I realized that I lost literally nothing. What I had and have is a child who is exactly the same kid, just happier. So hi friends, I'm Corinne Funk-Hammonds from the class of 97 and so happy and privileged and honored to be here today with Lindsay Turrentine, our classmate and my, shouldn't say old friend, but friend from long ago who I respect and adore so much. She's a journalist, she's a business person, and she's a mom. Lindsay, I'm going to give you the impossible task of, of saying hi and catching me up on the last 25 years before we... Uh, dive into the topic at hand. Oh my gosh. What have I been doing for the last 25 years? I am anomaly, I think, because I started my media career pretty much right out of school. I worked for a couple of years at the Sacramento Bee, which is the paper of record in, in California's capital, and then moved to the Bay Area, took a job at CNET where I still work. So huh. I started as an associate editor, reviewing software, and went on to have a, a whole rich career at CNET. And now I run content and strategy, and there's no better media job in the Bay Area. So that's my professional life. And then my personal life is that I got started pretty young for having kids. Um, I had my, my first baby in 2003, and then I had my, my second son three years later. And so now they are, they're in the back half of their teen years. <laughs> pretty amazing. One of them is off at college and the other is 16. That is amazing that you've been a parent for so long. I have two girls, they're 15 and 14. So did you always want to be a parent even when you were a little child? You know, the funny thing is I think I assumed that I would be a parent. I, I, I don't know if anybody's ever asked me that question. And what's funny about it is that I'm not sure I ever thought about it that way. I think what I always dreamed about was actually the place we are now, which is having children nearing or at adulthood, who you can sit around the dinner table with and laugh and joke and talk about big ideas. And that's what I loved about my family growing up. And that's what I always assumed I wanted. So when I had kids, it was less out of baby fever and more out of this is the future I want for myself. So I'm curious if there's anything you want to share about, uh, I want to talk about your kids now, but anything you want to share about them when, when they were young, either your experience parenting or them as kids? Um, or should we hop right into today? <laughs> well, um, I think, you know, we're, we're going to talk about this in the podcast about how my my younger son is a trans boy. And we'll talk about the journey to to that realization. But giving you like a little bit of people always ask, what were they like when they were little? Or what was he like? And I think that um, I think anybody who tells you that parenting is like, not that many people say this now, but it, it's like, it's a no-brainer. You'll know exactly what you're doing. It's the easiest thing. It's not. It wasn't for me. Uh, it was it was more demanding than I expected and, and obviously the best thing I've ever done and incredibly gratifying. But, you know, my kids are very different from each other. 
And so that's, I think, one of the most jarring things about having kids once you have more than one, which is that everything you thought you knew with the first one might not apply to the second one. You know, they're likely to be a different person, of course, but then the ways in which they might be different are sort of sometimes radically different. So, you know, they were a joy and and a lot of fun, but, but I had, you know, like many parents, a lot of sleepless nights. Uh, my younger son is in particular a very anxious person. So a lot of trying to navigate anxiety with a small child who doesn't know why they're anxious can be challenging. <laughs> I can identify with your son. I was an anxious kid too. So I totally, totally get it. <laughs> Lindsay, I don't want to interrupt our conversation anyway, but you use the term trans boy. And one thing I want to try to do during our conversation is just sort of stop and do definitions as terms come up, just so we're all uh, starting from the same vocab list. Can you just tell us about that phrase? Sure. Uh, so my son was, this is sort of the terminology that tends to be used in in the community of in the trans community, my son was assigned female at birth. In other words, he was born. Um, doctor said you have a girl, and it was a process of realization for him to realize that he's not a girl. He doesn't identify as a girl, and so when you say trans boy, it means that he was assigned a different gender at birth. So. You know, we could talk about parenting young kids for, for a long time, but I want to talk about your kids now and in the past several years. So uh, it hasn't been quiet in your household. Uh, there's been COVID and there's been jobs and um, some other stuff. So tell me about how old your son was when he when he came out and what that process was like to the extent you want to share it about how it was like for him. And I want to be clear, we're not using his name. We want to protect his his privacy um, and also what it was like for you as a family and, and you as a mom. Sure. Um, so, like you said, I'm, I won't be using his name, but he did give me permission to talk about this pretty openly uh, because he thinks it's really important for everybody to to just get as close as they can to the experience so that it's familiar to them. He, I think I mentioned that he's kind of an anxious kid. He's also just what a joyous kid. He is uh, extraordinarily kind and thoughtful and a brilliant artist. I mean, truly talented and also spends probably 40 hours a week working on his art and has since he was about five. So you can imagine the accumulation of, of skill and, and focus. And that's, that's who he is. He um, had been going through a rough time as most middle schoolers do, I think. Those are hard years for every single living human. His father and I separated when he was in fifth grade, I think. So we had been living apart for quite some time. And, and that process had been somewhat actually uneventful as, <laughs> as separation and divorce goes. But we were living in separate households, which I think is sort of relevant. And he came to us, he was 14. And first he said, you know, I need some help. I'm just not doing well. I, I'm struggling a lot. And he's always been a little bit quiet and anxious. And we knew that. But you take that seriously when your kid comes to you and says, I need some help. We got him a, a therapist that we just thought would be a great match for him. He started that work. We had, after a lot of conversation with him and the therapist came to getting him tested for autism, which wasn't a huge surprise for us. Although we had had a very casual understanding about what autism is. And we thought, that ah, can't be possible given the fact that this kid is like all these, you know, now kind of in retrospect, ridiculous ideas about what it means to be autistic or not. We got him tested. And sure enough, 
he was on the autism spectrum, which uh, would surprise you maybe if you met him casually, if you have similar assumptions about what that means, but uh, but explained a lot of how he navigated the world and, and was actually really empowering because he could go out and start to really own that and, and articulate what he needed and, and what kinds of settings were perfect for his learning. So uh, fast forward a few months and he was having these conversations with me and my ex-husband sort of at different times, but usually very close together. He was very deliberate about how he had these conversations with us. He came to me and he said, hey, mom, I just, I, I want you to know, let's take a walk. We took a walk. And he said, I just want you to know that I'm pansexual. I was like, what is, okay, I'm not actually really sure what that means. And he explained it to me. He just said, I, I'm attracted to, you know, pretty much either any gender on the spectrum. And I was like, oh, okay sure, you know, it sounds really open-minded. And, and it was kind of a non-issue conversation. Uh, and it turns out that he was sort of testing the waters for this much bigger conversation. And I think kind of probing to see how much we knew about gender and what our acceptance was and gender diversity. And, and then in rapid succession, he had two conversations, first with his dad and then with me, based on where he was staying at the time. And he just showed up about a week later and said, hey, I need to tell you, um, I'm a boy and this is my name. And gave us his first name. And that was it. That was the conversation. He was extraordinarily matter of fact about it. And, and then we were uh, sort of on that journey and and it was it happened very quickly it was in the spring of 2020 right after we all went into lockdown it was sort of an interesting timing and a safe space for him to do it because he could navigate all of this in the safety of his home without needing to go to school i hate uh using the term silver linings for COVID, but i've heard so many examples of the way COVID made the world different that allowed just for space to open for other things absolutely uh lindsay i'll tell you i'm very moved hearing that story, you've had two plus years to play it over in your mind and and think about it and tell it. What were your feelings at the time? Were you surprised? Did you grieve? Did you feel a sense of loss? I was, I'm not sure surprised quite encapsulates what I felt. I wasn't anticipating it, but I also wasn't surprised. I'm not quite sure how to square those things. Um, I think I had long assumed that he could be anywhere in terms of sexuality. I hadn't made any assumptions about his sexuality based on just his preferences in his life and the way he navigated the world. And because he has this incredibly and maybe unusually open mind, I had sort of figured anything, anything could happen, but I hadn't really thought about gender. What I did know always about him was that he was a kid who was just often uncomfortable, especially in social settings, just had a general discomfort. And um, it's, it's a little bit hard to articulate how that showed up, but he, he, he is very shy, uh, very self-aware, self-conscious. And, and even from being a small kid, it wasn't a teenage development. It was sort of his state of being. So when he told me, I mean, I definitely, you know, my heart skipped a beat. I was like, oh, Okay. You know, sort of, that makes sense. He was what a gracious person, you know, 14 years old and able to articulate, hey, I know this is a lot. Ask me any question you want. Just ask me. He really wanted us to ask any question so that he could let us know what it felt like to be him and and what his thought process had been. I think he was very deliberate about it. 
I went through probably about a week of struggling with the sense of, maybe it was two, of, of loss, of a plan, I suppose. But it didn't take me a really long time to realize that <laughs> that loss was just a loss of a future that existed entirely in my imagination. It was the future I had imagined. It was never the future that he had imagined or wanted. In fact, I think it was a future that made him deeply uncomfortable, th that assumption about his future. And, and I realized that I lost literally nothing. There was no loss. What I had and have is a child who is exactly the same kid, same brilliant artist, same hilarious and dry sense of humor, same kindness and thoughtfulness, just, just happier. And you cannot ask for more than that. I always think that's what I want as a parent for my kids to become their true selves. Yeah. That's been the joy of parenthood, I think. Um, I also have to give him so much credit for his self-awareness. It's interesting, just in the moment you were telling the story, something really pivotal happened to me in my life at age 14, not for this podcast to discuss. And I'm still processing and thinking it through and thinking about what it means to my identity. And so to be a 14-year-old who can do that in real time um, and in you know, talking to your parents has to be in some ways some one of the easiest things, but one of the hardest things too. So I give him an absolute ton of credit. Um, I'm interested in his artistic gift. I have an artist in my household too, and she's able to get things out in art that she's sometimes not able to get out in other ways. And I'm wondering what role art has played for him. Oh, that's a wonderful question. Um, and I think art has always been one of his ways of, of navigating the world. One of the things that's fascinating about his autism diagnosis is that, you know, autism can affect your relational abilities. You're able to, the way that you express and articulate emotion and interpret it. His art, not always, but by and large is character focused. He draws people in great detail. Um, he's exploring animation and, and he says that if he doesn't end up being a professional artist or animator, which I think is his dream. He also has a real fascination with and a desire to pursue a career, and this is incredibly, admirably specific, in mechanical engineering so that he can design prosthetic joints. <sighs> he is just fascinated with the human body and movement, but almost all of his art is characters, character development-oriented, and extraordinarily expressive usually full body and humans moving in incredibly animated ways. And I think it's relevant. Up until the point that he came out as trans, or really pretty short time before that, he was primarily drawing women and girls. And then a little while before he came out, he switched to primarily drawing boys. And still primarily draws the male figure. Not always, but primarily. And I think that was part of that exploration. He, he, even through his art, he was sort of forcing on himself reality that ultimately he rejected and, and started to develop his identity through drawing the male form and, and how that expresses. And, you know, he, it's been really interesting to watch. That's both fascinating and just fantastic. Very touching again. So I know today is a lot of Q&A. Uh, there's a lot we want to talk about, but I'm interested 
there must have come a moment when he went from coming out to to you and your ex-husband to coming out more broadly. And I'm I'm curious about the if you want to talk at all about that process. And either way, what kinds of questions he got or you got that were helpful and supportive and constructive and and ones that might not have been? Because I think that's instructive for the folks who are listening to us. Sure. And, you know, of course, this is all through his experience and the trans experience is a broad one. And I'm sure that there are a lot of different experiences and, and thoughts about what is helpful and what is not. But I can definitely tell it through the lens of my life and to a certain degree, his life. You know, the funny thing about coming out during COVID was that there was little coming out to be done in a public setting. I asked him at some point, not long after he came out, hey, I want to respect your privacy, but I'm also not a very closed book. Are are you okay if I mention it to people? How do you want me to treat this information in terms of friends and family? And he said, mom, I don't want to have to come out to anybody. I want you to do all the (laughs) work. He was like, talk as much as you want. I want the rumor to spread quickly and wide (laughs) and to be confirmed as true, which was um, actually like hilarious and and a relief for me because part of the way I process things is by talking about them. So talked a lot right off the bat and have found that talking about it openly is for our family the best way to navigate it. But I will say, you know, we live in Berkeley, California. Like our school district, our public school district has a form that you can fill out if there's a gender change that you submit to the district and all records are immediately changed in arrears so that all of his records back to kindergarten have his chosen name and gender. Uh, So very supportive environment. And in that sense, it has been, you know, easy to navigate. All of that said, there were some strange effects of coming out during COVID. One was that he he started his medical transition about six months after that and has been taking hormones for quite some time. So when he went back to school in person, after a year and a half, his voice was deep. You know, he he looked different, his different clothes, different hair. Um, and also coincidentally had grown about five inches. He is, we always, we kind of have a family joke that he won the trans lottery because he's, six foot one. So for a trans man, you know, that's, it's just kind of luck at the draw, but, but it made the transition easier because there are assumptions that people make about him based on his size. Anyway, he went back to school in person and nobody knew who he was. He was wearing a mask. His voice was deep, much taller. And he said that it was really in in some ways hard because he's shy and he didn't want to have to tell people over and over and over again. He wanted people to kind of see the transition and and come to their own conclusions. And in fact, he had to re-meet people he had known for a very long time, which was a, a strange moment. In terms of questions that people have asked, I think, you know, obviously we're in the middle of a difficult cultural conversation about these topics. And a lot of adults are struggling to understand this massive shift in thinking about gender. I mean, the statistics bear it out. Kids are coming out as trans in, in much higher rates than they have in the past. If you talk to a young person about this who's accepting of this of this shift, they'll say, well, and, and I actually found this to be an incredibly helpful perspective. You know, there was a time when very few people in our culture were left-handed. And then we recognize left-handedness as a normal thing. And all of a sudden, rates of left-handedness went way, way up. And, and 
really, it's helpful to see this in the same way. There have always been trans people at high rates in all cultures, and now we recognize and accept. I love that. My dad used to talk about that he was batting left-handed in Little League, and they changed him to a right-handed batter. You know, that's a great analogy. Not perfect, right? But I think in terms of people's understanding. Yeah, I, it did. It helped me understand. And um, I think the thing that I encounter the most in in my you know very progressive circles, put it that way, is sort of: Do you think this is a phase? Do you think this is a phase? What are the chances this is a phase? Um, and the answer is no. Well, for one thing, the, the and I can't quote them off the top of my head, but I do know that the statistics around kids who progress along a medical uh, transition path, who, and I'm talking about minors, who pursue hormone treatment and then potentially surgery, every step closer to medical transition they get, the less likely they are to ever regret or detransition. In fact, it almost never happens. It is. And, and when it does, it's typically under 5%. And when it does, it's typically a result of family pressure. So the answer is no, it's, it's definitely not a phase. I would say that identity and, and hobbies are different, different things. It can be pretty hurtful to ask that question because, you know, nobody asks a cis person if it's a phase. Exactly. About the essence of who you are. You know, I, I think I had mentioned to you, I saw a headline last week about rates of regret for medical interventions. And, you know, it was like 14% for knee surgery and, and less than 1% for gender confirming surgery for exactly what the reasons you just said. Um, so that's very helpful. I think we're in a world where we want to encourage our, our peers and loved ones to ask openly. Um, but when questions can be hurtful, it's helpful to flag. I will say... That question, and I think this is an important distinction, so I'm editing myself here. That question, I am totally fine fielding that question. It's really the question asked toward a young person about their own oh. identity. Asking somebody who's doing the terrifying work of coming out as trans, which in, in any culture, but this one in particular, especially in this moment, is, it's scary. Uh, and it's not something somebody would do lightly, I think, even even the most adventurous child. And, and you know, at side note, medical transition is not fun either. It's definitely not fun. There's, you know, a second puberty often involved. There's a lot of unpleasantness. Nobody, <laughs> I don't think, would do it, you know, to get attention or for fun. So, I, I'm pretty strident about that, but also totally happy to answer those questions as the person supporting the trans kid. I think the supporters of trans people, people who are allies and family members and people helping with support, usually are happy to have this conversation because it's just, it helps with understanding. So I think we know that folks can come at it as trans at many different ages. And I'm curious about this moment of coming out at age 14. Certainly, there's a lot to say biologically, and you've just touched on some of it, but I'm curious about socially, because that's an interesting time socially. Autism, then, is another overlay there. So I, I'm, I'm just curious if you have any thoughts on, on that. I do, and I think it's not, a, it's not an uncommon age to come out, and, and for, for sort of obvious reasons. Like, a kid can live a pretty gender-neutral life until puberty, and then things start to change in ways that, for a trans kid, often feel 
uh, this is how it's been described to me, just horrifying. This is not what I meant to be. This is not how I should be shaped. To get really kind of graphic about it, one thing that he has said to me is like, mom, having breasts felt like having a growth that was like a softball growing out of your shoulder. You would feel self-conscious and wrong. And that's what it feels like to me. So those things start to happen. And I think it becomes so intolerable that, that often kids feel like they really have to address it in that moment. Now he says he came to the conclusion really quickly once he allowed himself to think about it that way. But that as he looks back on his life, he realized he had been struggling with it for years. He just didn't even allow himself to have the conversation with himself. Oh, wow. Huh. So it had been brewing on some level. Yeah. And it's funny, I can remember moments like that when he was much younger, like eight. I don't remember exactly how he asked the question, but it was about pregnancy and childbirth. What was it like? How did it feel? And he said to me in that moment, I don't think I, I, that sounds awful. I never want to do that. I never want to use my body that way. I do not want that. And he was eight and it was clear. If I ever have children, I will adopt. I'm not doing that. And he knew? He knew. Yep. So I have a couple more questions for you. I hate to wrap up. We could talk all day, I know. But this is a particularly hard one. And, you know, we've known each other a long time. If you don't want to answer it or don't like the way I ask it, just say, you know, but I'm going to go there. And that is, if he had not come to this moment, come out, you know, if nothing had been done, what do you think would have happened on his life trajectory? I have... um asked him this question and, and actually got permission to talk about it. Because I think it's really important. You know, this is a kid who grew up in a supportive environment and still, you know, I said, what would have happened if we had sort of said, no, this is a phase. You need to explore this when you're older. He says, I'm not sure I would still be here, is the way he says it. And that's a He's not a kid who says things lightly or flippantly either. He he means it. Um, it was it felt that dark to him before he was able to articulate what it was he needed. And I and I will add on to that that for a lot of kids who are struggling with this, what one of the things that happens if they can't transition in a timely fashion as an adolescent or younger, if they know younger is that they, in addition to feeling that incredible discomfort and dismay that comes with feeling like you're living in the wrong body, there is also the retreat from typical teenage social interaction. You know, he really wanted to join the swim team, but didn't for obvious reasons, like the idea of being in the, in the dressing room was just too much for him. Kids who don't transition early enough lose a lot of social development time because they're uncomfortable at their peer set and, and they often will withdraw. So I think that's worth noting too, that that's the downside to waiting. So it's a, it's a really important question. Thank you for asking it. It's, um, it's really hard to hear that answer, but I think that it's even more important than to share that answer. So I appreciate him being willing and, and you being willing to share that. Answer. Absolutely. One of the things that, that, we talked about at the very beginning of this podcast, I would just like to reinforce for everybody, which is that I think the process of parenting any child is letting go of the assumptions that you made about who that child would be, because your assumptions are totally based on your own experience, or mine are anyway. 
my assumptions about my experience, what I loved, what I wanted from my life, how I planned it. And every single, you know, human is different. It's really unlikely that your child is going to take exactly the same path that you did. And it's this, like, the process of parenting teenagers in particular is the process of letting go of your assumptions as they make their own choices and choose their destiny. But it's also the process of falling in love with this new person you weren't able to imagine because you can't predict the future. And that's a, if you can put your arms around it, like what a joy, what a wonderful period of time because you're getting to know somebody and they're, as they get to know themselves, which is sometimes painful, but often just really amazing. Well, Lindsay, thank you. Thank you for sharing your story and, and our sincere thanks to him. Thank you. Thank you. 